Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Fast Pod. I'm Graham Cleland. I am here with my co-host, award-winning motorsports writer John Doran. John, how are you? I'm good, thanks. The sun's shining. Scotland's a great place when the sun's out. It is, absolutely. Okay, John, ask me how much motorsport I've seen over the past week. Okay. How much motorsport have you seen in the last week? None. Hardly any. I'll tell you why. Really? (laughs) Yes, unfortunately. So uh, you're not going to get searing insight, insider knowledge or commentary on an awful lot this week for me. And I'll tell you why. Kids' birthdays. Yeah, kids' birthdays. Uh, Two of my three children have had kids' birthdays uh, over the past week, which has been a lot of fun but also unbelievably tiring. More tiring than spending a weekend working at a motorsport event. That was not good family planning. Well, don't, yeah, let's not talk about that. We're on three, but there'll be no more. Anyway, so that, that means that I haven't seen a lot of motorsport, to be perfectly honest, but I'll tell you what I have seen. Uh, I did catch a bit of the MotoGP. However, it was very crashy, and it, it, it's been a bit of a theme this season. Uh, we touched on uh, Senor Marquez and his antics. He's done it again. Uh, and a very, very silly crash, which he's been roundly criticised for. Seems he's trying just that bit too hard at the moment. Probably doesn't have the bike to do stuff with, but it's getting a bit silly now, isn't it? The other thing about MotoGP, I guess, on the back of the crashes was, uh, I don't know if anybody else has followed this, but uh, Alex Rins uh, has been documenting his, I think it was a double leg break, tibula fibula, uh, and he's been documenting on his social media. If you want to check out his, his Twitter and Instagram, uh, if you've got the stomach for it, it is uh, a bit grim to see his leg in scaffolding. The good news is he's on the mend, uh, but it just shows you how tough these guys are. So MotoGP is going into its, its summer break now. Things They've got five, six weeks off, something like that, and he's planning to be back afterwards, openly talking about it. Uh, and it just shows you how tough these guys are on track, doesn't it? Oh, they have such a high pain threshold. But, I mean, do, do you think that they're pushing the technology now or it's just the level of competition that's going on? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think you've had fairly settled regs for a couple of years, which means there's not an awful lot between the bikes. And we've t- talked about that as being a positive. You know, anybody can win a race now. It's, it's competitive. Okay, Ducati look like they've got a bit of an edge in everyone this season uh, and their riders are going well. But it's it's super competitive. So I think it's a combination of everybody's pushing their bikes to the limit. Uh, the, every rider in the field is very, very good. And possibly there's a few people just pushing beyond the, the limits a little bit. So I think they are going to have to look at the riding standards because, yeah, there's been some silly stuff recently and, and a lot of injuries too. So, yeah. But still, it, it has been very entertaining racing, so you've got to strike the balance somewhere, don't you? Talk, talking of crashes, there's been some big ones in the rallies as well. There has. Uh, yeah, there's been a few... Um, I was keeping the one thing I did keep an eye on a little bit was the the away round of the British Rally Championship. They went to Ypres in Belgium, which is one of those classic rallies, isn't it? That's kind of uh, a, a little duel that everybody wants to go and compete in a big event. There were some really class drivers in it. Uh, Stefan Lefebvre, who is the French driver, who's got lots of WRC experience. It was going to be entertaining seeing him go head to head with his compatriot Adrian Formal, who's been absolutely scorching the BRC as we've talked about before, who went on to win. Again, so uh, just to underline his credentials, but Lefebvre had a, a big, big off. Um, if you haven't seen it already, folks, have a, a look. Um, huge barrel roll um, off, off the side of the stage and actually quite fortunate not to collect some spectators, thankfully. Uh, you know, the driver's okay. 
you know, no injuries, but uh, yeah, it was a really big one. Yeah, other little thing that uh, was I thought was great about Ypres too. Big shout out to Scottish rally driver Gary Pearson and his co-driver Dan Barrett. Uh, had a very tough weekend on his home round uh, in Duns, unfortunately, but he bounced right back and grabbed a podium spot. I finished third in Ypres uh, in, in a hugely competitive field. So, yeah, well done to those two. Um, and my other shout out goes to uh, Willie Patterson and Tom Hind, who were competing in the Scottish Rally Championship. Uh, they went to their Gale Rally in Danoon and they uh, carried our logo in their car, which was very kind of them. So, yeah, they, they've big supporters of the show. Uh, they're the first uh, competitor's car that the fast pod's been on. Uh, so we're chuffed to bits. And uh, yeah, I think both of us just want to say a big thank you to the guys. Oh, yes, definitely. Our turbocharged go faster stickers. Well, to be fair, they were both flying. <laughs> they were having a great rally until a slight mishap over a jump caught them out and ended in a ditch. Fortunately, both totally okay. Car's fine as well, but it was just one of those ones uh, where it got a bit beached and they couldn't get out, so rally over. So, sorry, guys, we didn't bring you luck in this round, but we guarantee you, if you keep the stickers on for the rest of the season, you'll have a great run. Next time, yes. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> so, uh, I haven't caught much motorsport. That was all I've seen, John. How about you? Well, first one is, is, is more of a story that I read. Robin Matthews. Who's she? The, she was the woman whose car was hit by Carl Kirkwood's tire when it flew over the stand. Oh, no, yeah, I remember you mentioned remember that, that a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, got poor, poor little snowball, as it was called, was really badly damaged. But it turns out IndyCar chiefs have given her a Chevy Equinox to get home for them, obviously, because she couldn't get home from the meeting. And it's turned out that they've, they've basically told her she can keep it. It's her first ever brand new car. She's obviously called it Snowball 2. But the return say, of Snowball. Know, yeah. So, but you you have to say, you know, what what a great story and great PR. Yeah, that's a great, that feel good story, isn't it? And uh, a really smart bit of PR from the championship itself, isn't it? Oh, superb! But uh, so, second thing, right? We're we're really lucky up here. We've got Knockhill on our doorstep, cracking track, uh, and it has to be on the bucket list for any racing fan. You've got to go there. But one of the thrills for the Scottish Motor Racing Club. Is there a way day? Um, and the minis this year went to Kirkiston, just near Belfast, which is a wonderful little track. And it, it just got me thinking, you know, there is so much character about it. It's one of those places that you don't even know it's there till you, t- you, you turn up at the gate. You have to wait for a gap in the action on the track for the gate to open and you could get across and get into the paddock. There's a superb bar in the paddock. And the track itself is really, really good. I just wondered, you know, sort of, what's, your, what's your hidden gem? The one that nobody really knows about that's a really, really good track. That's a great question. Um, I've actually never been to Kirkistown. That's that's one of the ones in the UK I've not been to. I've been to most of the little tracks and, and the, the test facilities and things like that as well. Uh, maybe not always for racing, sometimes like automotive testing and yeah. things like that as well. So there's a few little ones. I've uh, been to a lot of like rally day events at Castle Coombe, which is always a bit of a favourite of mine. That was one I really enjoyed working at. Uh, so, yeah, it's a great question. So, yeah, if, if listeners, if you've got, you know, a favourite track that's local to you, that's a bit of a hidden gem, tell us about the quirks and why you enjoy it so much. Talking of tracks, obviously Watkins Glen hosted the, the six hours in the IMSA series this weekend. And I caught a fair bit of that. Um, IMSA, IMSA's had quite a tough year. I mean, obviously, the, the 24 hours at 
at uh, Daytona was affected by the the, the row over the alleged manipulated tire data. And then we've got the Penske Porsche one at the Glen, only to get disqualified straight afterwards for a technical infringement, um, although they are protesting it. Um, but it just seems that more and more is happening in the stewards' room, as we, we've talked before, than actually is out on track. Yeah, I think the, the, the one that you mentioned there with this being appealed as well, it seems like a very marginal decision. You know, it, it's, it's one of these ones where something's a few millimetres out, probably not done it deliberately. It's just something that's moved well, you know, in a race like that, which is a long race, endurance race, and these things happen. So that's, that's a bit of a harsh one. Um, yeah, it's not great. We've talked about this before. You don't think like things decided by VAR, <laughs> like they are in football. Um, and, you know, generally when stewards have to intervene, there's always somebody that's not happy with outcome. But there has been a lot of it in big series this season. And one that caught my eye, actually, I did see over the weekend was um, WRC... Um, safari round was on and uh, there was a disqualification there too uh, the Belgian driver Thierry Neuville uh, the Hyundai driver uh, was disqualified he apparently or allegedly had somebody doing a bit of illegal wrecking of stages for him which you know sounds a, a, a real sneaky. yeah sneaky <laughs> also you know a very bad choice for somebody who's as high profile as that um, and is that really going to give him the sort of advantage that is going to make a difference in, in an event like that. I'm not so sure. Um, you know, so that's a particularly bad choice. I think that sort of thing, though, uh, is in a different category to the one that you talked about in Watkins Glen, which is a, a you know, a marginal call, which seems very, very harsh, as opposed to the one at the Daytona, which, let's be perfectly honest, was, you know, a deliberate infringement and an attempt to manipulate yeah. things, which absolutely should be hammered. So, yeah, it, it does seem a bit strange that the original one at, at Daytona sort of seemed to get off quite lightly for what they've done. Uh, and this latest one seems pretty harsh. Talking of America leads actually leads us into our guest this week. We've got a multi-world champion stock car racer who is working really hard to break into America. Is a cracking lad and very, very talented. Let's have a chat with Tom Harris. Welcome, Tom. Congratulations on the success here and in Holland. You'll be needing a bigger house soon for the trophies, won't you? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah, I've been having a really good run this year. Um, although I, uh, I've, I've won lots of races over here, but I haven't managed to win many finals. So uh, frustrating, but I'm sure we'll get there. Which, which are the ones over the years? I mean, obviously the world titles, but which are the ones you're most proud of? Some of the championships. My The first one I won in the World Cup in Holland, that was uh, obviously a very a very good moment. Um, again, the, the one in Holland that I've just won, the King of Dirt, that was another you know, proud moment because it was not expected. You know what I mean, I had a terrible night on Saturday and... Uh, you know, I was averaging my heat, but got the car better and better. And then, uh, yeah, it was it was really on it in the final. Was in lots of different sports. People say that, don't they, Tom? That you know, you've got to compete with at the highest level you possibly can with people that are better than you in order to improve. And and then, you know, like you say, it, it drops down into the other levels that you're working at. Yeah, that's right. It's you know, if you if you want to be the best, you've got to race against the best because those guys are the best for a reason. And you know. Everybody can go practicing and testing, and uh, but nothing actually really compares to actually what happens on race day. You know, when you're in traffic and the track changes considerably on dirt, especially with 
so many cars being out there, you know, the track changes quite fast throughout the race. So you have to adjust your driving style quite a bit throughout the race, as well as obviously your adjustments in your car, your brakes, etc. cetera. So uh, like I say, you know, the, those guys that race out there are the best for a reason. And, uh, you know, if you want to be one of those, you have to go and learn from them and, uh, and, and try to beat them. How hard is it to, for, for a British racer to, to crack America? And, and what are the differences between the two? I believe it's uh, it's it's very difficult to uh, to to crack America. Um, America is obviously a lot bigger in racing than what we are over here. Um, you know, to to be good in a, a sprint car, the likes of like Kyle Larson and and you know a few of the other buddy Kofoid, they've been in a four ten wing sprint car since they were you know thirteen fourteen years old. They've come through you know doing. 70 80 go-kart outlaw go-kart races a year they race a, a lot more than what we do and i find over here especially with our sport everyone's trying to slow you down whereas you know is in not just me personally but is in slow the sport down to to make better racing whereas in america it's it's all out like everyone wants to go as fast as they can and you know they're real race as well if uh you know if someone gets someone beats you on Friday night, no one goes around the pits moaning that they cheat and they just work on their car and get better. And then, you know, go again Saturday. It's, it's a completely different mindset. And, uh, I believe, you know, for like for myself, I, I really want to win a, a feature in America and that's my, that's my aim and that's my goal. And, um, no, I'm getting better and it's not taking me as long to adjust to the car each time we go. So, uh, you know, I just need to get some time out there and get some momentum going, and, and I'm sure I can, uh, I can do it. Tom, that's a fascinating insight, I suppose, into sort of the different um, approaches on on either side of the pond. Uh, and I'm guessing, as well as the, the sort of difference in in that attitude, maybe, and the style of racing, I'm guessing commercially it's a different ball game with it being such a bigger market and, and maybe having a bit more coverage over there too. Is so is the rewards better as well, you know, in terms of going over there and competing? And, and is it something you'd potentially consider doing full time if the, the reward was big enough? Yeah, I'd, um, yeah, the, the the rewards are considerably bigger. Um, I was uh, fortunate enough. I, uh, I raced the World of Outlaws at Aldora in 2019 for the Kings Royal. And it was quite good because they'd had a rain out previous, like earlier in the year. I got to run my non-wing car and the wing car alongside each other one night in the Let's Race 2. So I raced both cars on the first night. Then I raced the wing car for the second night and the third night. And by the third night, you know, I, I ended up second quick with the World of Outlaws, made the 175,000 to win King's Royal feature. So, um, yeah, it was um, the, the rewards are considerably amount of more. But then again, it does cost more to to do it. So, you know, for for myself personally, it's it is really rewarding over there because if I go and have a good a good run and and don't tear too much stuff up, you know, I can kind of go and and maybe make a little bit of money out of going. Um, but if I go and the last twice I've been, I've ended up crashing. Then obviously it costs you to go. You know, even if you had some good results earlier on in the week. I crashed on the last night both times, and um, therefore you don't. The money that you'd made has also now disappeared because you've got to fix the car again. So, but yeah, the 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 money is this year especially. You've got your hundred seventy five thousand to win Kings Royal Aldora. Then you've got you know the week after I think you've got a million dollar race to win at Aldora. It's you know and this is you know dirt racing. It's 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 not NASCAR. You know it, it is 
it is the pinnacle of, of dirt racing and dirt ovals in motorsport. And, um, you know, they are the, the new high limit series that Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet put together. It's, you know, they're paying 32,000 to win on a, a Tuesday night or a Thursday night. It's, it's the money, the money side of it is incredible, but obviously, you know, to, to get the equipment that we've got in America now is taken a considerable amount of time to build up. You know, I've been building my stuff up in America since like 2015. And then obviously then Jamie Davidson, my, the car owner back from back here, he bought an outlaw car, a wing car. That was the wing sprint car I used in the Knoxville nationals, et cetera. So, but you know, it's because we're not there all the time, I guess it does seem to cost a lot of money when you're there because you're not doing it every week. You're not buying a bit week in, week out. When you go there, it's like a lump sum, if you know what I mean. It, you've got to go and get 10 tyres, whereas you could buy one a week for 10 weeks and probably wouldn't notice here. It's So for me, that is that is quite difficult. But, you know, we, we know what we have to do and we just save here. And, and when we go, we give it our best. You design and build the cars as well. So, I mean, does that give you more confidence when you're when you're performing, how much how much difference can I actually make when you're you're doing the design and the build? That's something that is really good because I've I've got a really good feel as well. Like I know what the car needs to bear in mind, adjust the brakes, the setup, the springs, etc. So so because I'm driving as well as building, I can then probably build a better car than somebody that doesn't drive. Because I get the feeling, oh, we could do with moving this, moving this. I'm just building a new a new tarmac car for over here at the minute. And it's virtually the same as my car I'm running now. Just a few smaller things. I've just I've moved the radiator back. You know, things that people wouldn't really feel make that much difference. I just feel that if I can compact the weight a little bit more and move it back slightly, then the car will be really more balanced and, um, you know, hopefully perform better for a, a longer durance throughout the race. Tom, just trying to give the listeners a bit of an insight into what it's like to compete in a car like that. Okay, so really high power, you know, not much room in the cockpit, you know, compared to, to some other categories of motorsport. You're very close to the ground. You know, you're quite exposed. Uh, and, and obviously there's a lot of contact in the racing as well. And just can you give us an insight into, you know, what's it like to be in the cockpit? What do you like? How do you like it set up? And, and what sort of buzz do you get out of it when you're actually competing? The the probably the biggest the easiest way to describe it is uh, you know especially in a championship race in a big race when there's lots of contact it's like being sat in a bow you know it's, it really does the, the driver does really get most of the impact because the cars have now built so strong obviously because people put you in the wall and you know you want to come out the wall and you want to finish that race you want to get that guy back and you want to win you know so the cars are now so strong that the driver takes the impact so you know. I had a good one on Saturday. I hit the wall in the Grand National Saturday, and it, it would give me an instant headache, like really sharp, like knew where I was, didn't lose any consciousness, but really, you know, a really good headache. The speed factor is uh, is quite phenomenal, really, because you're on such small overalls. The acceleration of these cars, you know, we're at 700 horsepower. It, it really does, especially on time, it really does sit you back in a seat and uh, and get you going. But obviously, during the rules as well, the brakes aren't very good. So that's another factor, you know, which is like, oh, is it going to stop? Yep. It is. Uh, yeah, it's, it really does give you a buzz. It gives me a buzz anyway. It's, I wouldn't say give everybody a buzz because it is, uh, you know, some people would think it would be quite frightening, especially going those sort of speeds in a car that size when you're like, say, you're really quite enclosed. You can't really see much when you're in them. And then you get some guy from behind that wants to uh, stop you from winning the race. It's... Uh, yeah, I think it takes a select few to um, 
to you know to be able to do it and do it well so uh fortunately i've uh, been very successful and uh, managed to become one of those people it's also a, a, a massive visual treat um but then you look at the classes i mean it's also, it's also a very family orientated sport i mean if if somebody wanted to get involved in it having what sort of money would it take to get involved and how how family orientated do you think it is it is very family orientated um you know my family's raised a lot of the top drivers that come through you know they're second or third generation you know i think there's a fourth generation driver out there so it is very very family orientated cost wise to come if someone that didn't know what a stock car was and 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 come into it you know you can depends how fast they want to go and and how deep they want to get into it if they want to go and have some fun then you can there's all manner of people that hire cars out to different drivers so you could you could go down that route if you wanted to purchase a car there's some advertisers at the minute between 12 and fourteen thousand pounds for a complete car ready to race now you obviously don't get any parts for that you get a few spare wheels etc um but then if you want to go like top end you're probably talking you know between 30 and fifty thousand to to have the best equipment if you know what i mean but buying it is the the hardest bit the running cost actually isn't that bad but obviously it's getting to have enough wheels enough tires etc to keep in rotation so then you don't have to do kind of thing that i do in america if you do it weekly it doesn't cost a lot but if you have to do it in lump sum then obviously it costs a it's quite hard on the pocket you started your career in motocross before shifting over to, to short circuit racing, but are there any other types of motorsport that, you know, you, you keep an eye on that, you know, you would fancy a crack at at some point to test yourself in, in those arenas? You know, is it, there are competitors out there in other series that you kind of admire you think, I could be as quick as them doing what they do? Yeah, there's, there's a few. Obviously, I'm I'm massively interested in the in the America scene, in the whole American scene, whether it be non-wing sprint cars, wing sprint cars, midgets. Um, I, I was up last night watching uh, watching the high limits race. You know, probably two or three o'clock this morning. So, um, yeah, I, I my my family is is massive in motorsport, and like you say, me and my cousin we raced motocross from I think the age of five until I was nine. Um, unfortunately, I had a, a bad leg injury, which kind of put me out of that for a while. And, and when I come back, I kind of wasn't enjoying it the same. And my dad was racing more and more and more, so that's kind of got me involved in the in the motor motorsports rather than the motocross. My uncle actually races a oh, he did race a radical um, on the circuits, and uh, I quite fancy going that touring cars. I don't really watch it as much now, but um, you know they're a bit rough and ready and you know the the drivers yeah, they, they like a bit of contact don't they yeah yeah they're hungry for it and they kind of like you know that's the sort of thing that, you know it's not boring to watch they're, they're kind of hungry for it and they're rubbing and shoving and you know you can tell those guys really want to win yeah and then there's obviously the pickup trucks that we used to have at Rockingham that still race there's a series from there they're racing Holland a bit and, and a few other different circuits but I'd like to have a go in one of those on the on the big track in um, in Holland at Venray They've got like a half mile track bank bank tarmac oval there, so I'd like to have a go around there and in like you know, like one of the pickup trucks that they have they used to have a rocking them. There's a, there's a, there's all sorts of things I'd like to do. It's just obviously putting it putting the package together to do it. Mum keeps saying come and have a go in his new car, but you know if I, I'm frightened, I know that if I got in it, I'd end up crashing it because I I wouldn't be happy until I was on the edge, and then 
and then when you're on the edge, you go that little bit further just to find your boundary, and then it's uh, then it costs a fortune. So um, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see how nice it's going to be if it's going to going to put me into it. We can uh, sense the enthusiasm when you're talking about the contact, but uh, does that actually lead to to grudges out on track, or can you do you totally keep it professional? I mean, are there are there people that you you keep an eye out for when you're racing? <laughs> you don't have to name really names, Tom. Bother. You don't have to name names. I'm not, I'm not really bothered. I'm not really bothered anymore, to be honest. You know, I've had I've had my fair few fair few feuds over the years and and it does create feuds and it does create enemies and um you know things do get heated on and off the track i try and keep it on track because you know like i said before i'm really quite a laid-back person and i don't really get upset about much um you know and the way i see it now if i want to go and i want to win if someone stops me from winning you know then they're going to get whatever they give me back 10 times over so not really obviously it's not really in uh, battle wise as in feud wise but obviously you've there's some there's some all the top drives that are out there you know Craig Finnegan Lee Ferris Frankie Wayman you know there's loads of top drivers out there they're the ones that you know for example at the weekend they did a, a pole redraw thing so I started on pole for the final then they redrew seven rows around so I was pretty much at the back and then they put Craig Finnegan, which is really fast on shale, at the front. So, like, you know, things like that, you need to keep your, like, your eyes open. For, oh, he's off the front. He's going to take some catch. You need to get my head down and get going through the pack first. You know, as well, like, because we start, obviously, starting graded order, the the lower graders with the least points start at the front of the grid. Then you have yellow graders, which have got more points. Blue graders, again, more. Then you have red grade, which is star grades. And then you have the superstars, which start right at the very back. So as national points champion, I start either last car or one from last car every race. So you get someone in the, the lower graders, which is a good driver that gets a clear break. You know, they do take some catching. So so while, you, while you're racing, you kind of have to like leave your battles and go forward in your group and then figure it out, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, if you start battling at the beginning of a race, then you're never going to get to the front. So um, there is there is a lot more to it than what, people would think um but yeah i get what the more you do it, it just becomes natural you know you know whether to leave someone for a corner and and go into the next corner or you know when to pass people it's just experience and like i said before within experience you can't buy that testing or, or going practicing you uh you need to do that in race mode and obviously you know you can do that at the racetrack on a on a weekend so um that's what we do John talks about it being a visual treat, stock car racing, you know, and, and it really is. It's it's noisy, it's fast, it's loud, it's all action, you know, during races as well. Do you feel that it gets a fair shake in terms of media coverage in the UK? Um, because actually, compared to, you know, some other disciplines, like, you know, forest rallying is really difficult to, you know, market because spectators can just wander in and out and it's hard to get TV coverage of it at times and things like that as well. But, you know, it's, it's quite easy to cover a, a stock car racing event in some respects. But do you think it should get more coverage? I, I do believe it should get a lot more coverage. Um, and it isn't, you know, we've we've tried and we've had people in the the association, the BSCDA and stuff, uh, and the promoters, they've, they've kind of tried to to get someone on social media and putting it out there and 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 trying to show like different people different audience what we do and um the problem is of it is obviously motor racing in the UK is so small as opposed to like Merita etc you know everyone here is all about football 
so I, I do believe that it it does deserve a lot more recognition than what it what it gets. But as you said before, it's it's kind of difficult because it's like the same audience. It's the famine orientated sport. It's you know it's hard to get it into other people. Um, but when different different audiences do see it, they're like, "Wow, look at that! Look how noisy that is! Oh, you know, look at that guy! It's it is really good. It's just it's just hard to get it out there to other people. We don't get very many opportunities to go to a new place and showcase what we do. And uh, I believe that if we could travel around a little bit more and, um, and and go to different tracks, you know, down south more, you know, up in Scotland again, and and showcase what we do, I I do believe that you know we 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 deserve more recognition because like i say it isn't you know it, it isn't just a hobby anymore it's you know people are doing it for a living so um so i definitely believe it does need more rec- recognition for for how good it is and does it get different in in america do you get a lot more coverage there yeah in america it's especially the the events that we try and go to because because the racing, obviously, we don't want to, because it's so far to go, we don't want to go just for a weekend. So we kind of go to the big events that, are, you know, you can race seven seven times in eight days, etc. So we go to like the big events. So, so yes, those events do get a lot more recognition. But even even the normal events, you know, they they have live broadcasting. You know, you can or flow racing. You can you can buy that for whatever that is a year, and you can you can watch all forms of different motorsport across America every night if you wanted to um and I, and I believe if we could get a live broadcast company to come on board and you know well we the hard thing is if we go a live broadcasting company is very difficult to get people into the stadiums and we need people into the stadiums to keep the stadiums growing and running so you know whether you did a a block that you couldn't watch it within a hundred mile radius etc to get those people to the racetrack but you know live broadcasting to to different to show different countries and and I do believe that would do the sport good as as opposed to, you know, trying to get everyone through the gate because, you know, the price of fuel, et cetera, now and, and it's, you know, it's everything's getting more expensive. So, it, you know, it's hard for families to find, you know, money, spare money to go racing every weekend throughout that month. It's it is difficult, a difficult time for everybody. So um, I do believe that a live broadcast would uh, would showcase what we do and and probably create us a better order or not a better order a bigger audience than what we what we currently have. What sort of targets have you set for the rest of the season? What would make a, a great twenty twenty three for you? Obviously, there's the the championship season's getting it's becoming summer months now. So the championship, you no, know, I I'd really like to win the world world championship again. Like I said before, I've won loads of loads of races this year, but I've not won many finals. So uh, you know that's on my that's on my ticket. And I just, every time I get in the car, I want to win. Um, and that's probably my downfall, really, because you know some people like reserve themselves and and then you know show up on the big race day and and you know have have good pace and good equipment. And uh, I'm kind of probably too eager, really. I like on Sunday I won both my heat races. Didn't I, had a, I was winning the final, but I got flat tire, and then I won the dash for cash. It's yeah, I just want to win every time I get in the car, and um, especially the championships. My little girl's at the age now where she's starting to understand, so uh, it's nice to get her in Victory Lane and get some pictures and stuff, you know, for for memories when I'm when I'm old and I can't do it anymore. So, uh, so yeah, and also when I go back to America, I um, you know, my aim was when I went in February that I wanted to make every A feature start, which I managed to do. So, uh, you know, we want to get some get up there in the places now and get some top tens and top fives and uh, see if one day we can't compete for a win. 
Well, I wish you all the best, and I know you're. I know you're going to have a good year because you're you're a born winner. But thanks for your time. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been really good talking to you, and uh, I appreciate I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, Tom. All the best. Cheers. Thank you very much. Good seeing you. Thank you. Oh, thanks to Tom for taking the time to speak to us. Um, he's got a heck of a busy schedule. Uh, John, my, my knowledge of stock car racing isn't huge. You, you know him a lot better than I do. But obviously, leading up to the interview, um, I was doing my homework, was watching a lot of his racing uh, and trying to understand a little about his career. And he's just a really impressive individual. You know, he's, he's been so, so successful. And when you see the, the level of stock car racing he's competing at, I'm not sure people understand you know, just how intense it is uh, and the level of competition and how, how big the events are as well. And so, you know, for him to achieve that level of success, um, you know, I think he deserves a lot more recognition for what he's done, actually, um, because, uh, you know, he, he's he's still quite a young man <laughs> and he's he's still out there winning races, setting records. And it was fascinating to, to get an insight into, well, first of all, you know, how he prepares to do it, uh, the the physicality of the racing, you know, that contact and the fact that, you know, you get a little bit beaten up by other drivers sometimes and, and you've got to strike that balance between staying focused on getting through the pack to try and win the race, but but potentially dishing a bit out as well along the way. So it was just a great interview, wasn't it? Do you get the chance to go? Do, do, do go. Um, because the rumble of the cars and when they hit the wall, uh, the contact is, it is really thrilling stuff. Um but it's it's interesting the way that he prepares in that he he can actually design and build his own cars. So he knows what he wants, he knows what he needs, and he knows what works. And he's able to take that from a piece of paper and give you a designed car. Um, but he he hasn't just rested on what he could do in in Britain. He's he wants to go and challenge himself in America, where it's a completely different ball game. The, the the way it's the foot of the sport is presented, the crowds and everything. It's just a, a fascinating insight into the sport and he really does understand it. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, I, I watched some of the American events that he's competed in as well. And, you know, um, they market it brilliantly. You know, it's immediately engaging. And, uh, you know, I, I was glued to watching some of those races. There's there's always something happening. There There's not really any boring bits in the stock car race like that, is there, John? <laughs> Well, absolutely nothing. But uh, it was it was it was interesting that he, you know he understands the business side of the sport. You know he's he's working out whether it's it's better to have a TV audience or to have enough people in the, in the stadium to keep them all going. Yeah, I mean it's something that we've talked about in previous episodes, isn't it? And how do race series balance their promotion in this day and age? You know, um, how do they leverage the internet? You know, if they're maybe a, a historically a slightly smaller series and they're trying to compete against, you know, the likes of Formula One for airtime and things like that. And, and there's a couple of routes uh, that some have been more successful than others. And, and there's big series out there that are struggling with these commercial issues. So it was fascinating to get Tom's insight into that. And, you know, I, I genuinely think that, you know, the, the top levels of stock car racing, they do deserve more coverage in the mainstream media, don't they? Oh, definitely. I, I, I think in in both the papers, I think there's enough characters in the sport, but the, it's a great family day out, um, and it's also a great family way of of getting involved in something. It's an activity for the whole family. Uh, you can, as he as he says, you can get hold of a car, you can use the car the, the car for 
various members of the family and get them all involved. It's it's great fun. Yeah, it's pretty accessible, but still not cheap, as he pointed out, especially not to compete at high levels in America. <laughs> I also thought it was interesting that he, you know, a typical racer, he he looks at all sorts of types of motorsport and thinks, yeah, I'll have some of that. Um, and the idea that uh, he would want to get into touring cars, I think that there's a marketing opportunity for somebody because he would be seriously quick in a touring car. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, some people talk about touring cars sometimes having too much contact, etc. But, you know, I've always loved, loved the rough and tumble of BTCC. It's one of the things that, that I always enjoyed about racing in it. And, you know, there's a balance. But, yeah, I, I think he'd be quick. I think he would be quick straight out of the box jumping into that. And it was, it's kind of interesting that he wasn't really – he's not that fussed about too many other race series. He's quite focused on, on this one. Uh, but that was the one that stood out for him. And, yeah, I think there's a great crossover marketing opportunity there, isn't there? Yeah, you just hope he does really well for the rest of the season. Yeah, totally agree, John. Thanks again to, to Tom for coming on. I'll certainly be tuning in for the, the rest of his races and, and would encourage others to do so as well. Listen, everybody, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I hope you enjoyed Tom's chat. Um, thanks for listening. It would be brilliant if you could hit the subscribe button on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. Uh, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon with another top guest. See you later. <laughs>